Blog Talk Radio. back with another episode of Inside the Burger Shop, a podcast at the intersection of sports, entertainment, media, technology, and more. I'm Ryan Berger, taking you through the next hour of a fun conversation. We will be joined very shortly by my good friend Mark Kriegel from the NFL Network. Mark, a New York City born and, born and raised individual, Stuyvesant High School, right down the street from where I currently am right now, the author of Joe Namath book, the Pistol Pete book, and of course the Boom Boom Mancini, one of the great writers and sports minds, and we'll be joined in about two minutes by Mark. It's been a fun week. Uh, it's actually our third show in three days. We were joined by Brian Daly from Showtime Sports on Wednesday. We were joined yesterday by Costa Kennedy from Sports Illustrated talking about the World Series, and then of course Mark today, and we're going to go for a fourth. On Monday, we'll be joined by Tommy Beer from Hoops World and Sports Insiders, and we will do an NBA preview. Uh, of course, thanks to our sponsors, Hyper, the lead sponsor of the show, the world's largest database for influencers and celebrities in the world, and you can find out more about Hyper at hyperbrands, H-Y-P-R brands.com. 
We're also happy to have on board the Crowds Line. Head over to thecrowdsline.com. Make your prediction today of what's going to happen in games each night. Win prizes, iTunes gift cards, and whatnot. And, of course, our latest sponsor, Pita Express, the best Mediterranean hummus food in New York City. Head on down to Ann Street. Tell them that you listen to the podcast and get your free appetizer or hummus today. We are three days before Halloween. It's going to be a crazy weekend in New York City, and there's no better person to speak to when New York City gets crazy than my boy Mark Kriegel. Mark, hope all is well on the West Coast. Welcome once again to Inside the Burger Shop. What's up, Brian? How are you? I'm doing well, Mark. What's that? I don't know anything about I don't know anything about New York craziness. Nah, you know you grew up on the streets of West Fourth Street, very tamed tamed individual, and uh, when things got crazy, you went out to the Hamptons. Right. <laughs> right. I didn't go out to the Hamptons until uh, I met you. <laughs> oh boy. So you know. We're in week eight, a bunch of stuff going on with the NFL I want to talk to you about. Before I talk to you about that, though, I know you're a huge Hoops fan. NBA started this week. Obviously, the Knicks, a bunch of moves. Give me your take on what you've seen with the Knicks, what you expect uh, to see from the Knicks, and, uh, and then we'll talk a little bit about the West Coast Hoops as well. Look, I mean, I, I, uh, I've said it many times before. I think the Knicks are certainly the – the Knicks under Dolan are metaphors for the decline of New York, second only to Donald Trump. But what interests me, look, I don't think that they're going to win a title or really go compete for a title with Carmelo. I don't think that Carmelo is wired that way. Um, I think Carmelo is the kind of guy who can compete for a title when he's the third or fourth option coming off the bench after like his second or third knee surgery. Um, what interests me about the Knicks this season is Hornacek. I think he's probably a really good coach and the first coach to work under Phil Jackson, who staked out his own territory apart from the triangle. Well, the triangle was so sacred to Phil for so many years that um, it, it, it took rather extraordinary circumstances and rare, rather, you know, abysmal failure to for him to abandon it even in part and to allow Hornacek to stake out his own you know territory as a coach so I think the guy's a good coach um I think it's a step in the right direction that he won't be completely dependent on the triangle uh I think it become like a point of just dogma at this point and, and it wasn't wasn't yeah. useful and obviously the players you know didn't think as highly of it as Phil Jackson and like any strategy, I don't care. I don't care what the, you know, fuck it is. Sorry. Um, Please. The strategy, you're more than well, the strategy, I know, but the strategy is only as good as the players who believe in it and the degree to which the players believe in. It. So if you have Michael and Scotty and they believe in the triangle, well, the triangle is going to be a hall of fame offense. If you have, you know, um, Shaq and Kobe, it's going to be a Hall of Fame offense. If you have Powell, Lamar, and Kobe all in their prime, it's going to be spectacular offense. You have spectacular players who believe in it. If you have guys like Carmelo who 
are ambivalent about it, it's going to be an ambivalent offense. And you can't have that. So I don't think that the scheme matters as much as the, A, the quality of the players, and B, um, the degree to which the players believe in it. So that's the Knicks. Well, they, um, they brought in Derek Rose. West, Derek Rose. What? Yeah. Let me, let me just ask only one follow-up on the Knicks. They brought in Rose, who obviously is a little bit of a ball stopper in himself. Hard to right. tell after the first game because I think anybody that played Cleveland the other night would have been in, in trouble with the way everything's going on in that city. But my one takeaway from that game is the thing that I yelled about last year is that the offense needs to be run through Porzingis. And you look around and you have two guys like Rose and Mello who like the ball. That ain't going to happen. sitting here saying, yeah, you know, how, how do we get Porzingis? They're not sitting there saying, how do we make this kid better? I feel like there's going to be a segments of the game where, frankly, he disappears. To me, this year is all about him and, and getting him to become one of the top ten players in the following year. You know, I, I, that's my big kind of concern this year is him just being you know, lost in this offense. Oh, well, I would say it's a well-founded concern, especially based on what I saw last night. Look, Derek Rose looked uh, – from what I saw, Derek Rose wasn't the problem. He looked pretty good. His legs looked like there were a little bit yeah. – you know, some spring to it. And, um, you know, whether he's like 10 or 15 or 20 or 140 games from his next knee injury, I, I couldn't tell you. Um, I don't think you can build a team around Derek Rose, but the Knicks have been building teams around – diminished superstars for 30 years. I mean, since, since Spencer Haywood, you know, um, yeah, and crazy. <laughs> it was as doomed a strategy then as it is yeah. now. Um, and I, I think you raise an interesting point. The priority in this year had to be Porzingis. And if you have two guys who, and it's not their fault, Rose and Carmelo, and even putting aside the issue of, of Noah for a second, who doesn't need the ball, who can make other players better as long as he's healthy, but two guys who need the ball in their hands to play, much less play well, it doesn't really leave much for your the guy who's supposed to be grooming as a superstar. So I don't I don't have an answer, um, but maybe the Knicks should have had an answer when they got all these aging. Um, Superstar, you know what can I tell you? Yeah, no, it's you could throw Brandon, you could throw Brandon Jennings, I guess, into that fold also. Shoot, I wasn't even thinking of that. You're right. (laughs) You know, shoot first point guard is going to come off the bench, one year deal, Mm -hmm. and I like these guys on one year deals, but you know, it's a little bit uh, scary with how they mentally think about the sport and and the team. And then we move out west, right, to to what we're seeing in Golden State. Now, obviously, came up really short the other night something that I think shocked a lot of people. Now, your thoughts on the summer of Durant and what you expect to see with this Golden State team? I saw a story this morning about Durant, like, psyched himself up after the reporter got into practice, and he was still shooting around, talking about everyone doubting him. and He's out here putting in work and all. First of all, he's paid to put in work, okay? And I don't have much faith in the guy who obviously wanted to be seen quote-unquote, putting in work and talking about his doubters. And I find the whole thing it's kind of bullshitty to me, to tell you the truth. Um, yep. And he doesn't – obviously, he doesn't like the whole idea of people taking exception to his move in the offseason. It's his right to go wherever he wants in the offseason. And it's the fans' right 
to say that was a bullshit move or that was pretty cool. And, you know, he's made himself into a, a kind of a villain here. In the same way that the, that the Dream Team was cast as, as villainous, I think that, you know, the, the Dream Team, or whatever you want to call that, the, the big three in Miami, accomplished a lot more um, and, and, and worked under more prohibitive odds than this Golden State team. And if – what did Golden State win last year? 73, 74, 79? How many games? Yeah. Like, what crazy number? What did they have? What was the number? 73, 73 I think. 73. So the, great, the greatest team of all time. And after you win 73 games, if you don't win a title, it's a fail. Let's not bullshit. It's a fail, okay? So you, you win 73 games. You have a team down, and you let them off the hook, and then you get the most prized free agent in all of basketball. Well, and, and he switches teams from a team that he, he's not going to be regarded as a sympathetic figure. I don't know. You know, Durant doesn't want to be cast as the bad guy. That's great, but, I mean, what did he expect? He, he, has, a, he has a right to go – he has a right to go wherever the hell he wants. He's a free agent. He earned it. And the perception isn't off. What are you supposed to make of that? Are you supposed to, as a, as a fan, are you supposed to treat this as if it's a sporting proposition? Anything less than, anything less than, forget one title, because they should have won one title last year. But right. anything less than a, a, a bunch of titles is a fail. That's just the way it's been set up. If he didn't want the goddamn pressure of it, he shouldn't have gone to the 73-win team. You know, and I don't, I don't, personally, I don't think that the way they're constructed, they're so great in, in the middle. You know, I, I know that the game has changed, but they, they still don't have like a big, they don't, don't have a big guy in their middle. I think that they're going to miss uh, Festus. I think they're going to miss, they don't have Bogut either, right? You know, right. No, there's still very, basketball. There's, there's, yep. You got to rebound. You got to play defense. Two but when they played the Spurs the other night, they couldn't rebound. They couldn't protect the rim. They couldn't really get rebounds. And I think, um, you know, when LeBron went to Miami that first year, they were a hated team. I think they started like six and six or something like that, or, or right. eight and eight, and then I don't, but, and then took off. But they earned it the hard way. But he, here's the thing, right? Um, the expectation was set for Miami, not just. First of all, the way LeBron handled the decision set them up to be hated. Second thing right. is, and I'm, I'm sure that the, those guys would have done it differently today, they had this opening press conference where LeBron himself set the bar. You know, not one championship, not two, not three, whatever. That, remember that whole bit? So what the hell yeah. do you want people? You're, you're setting the expectations. <laughs> not not um, Now – now, Durant didn't, but Durant wanted to have it both ways. But, pal, you go to a 73-win team, and you're a Hall of Famer. Now it's the big four. Forget big three. Hey, you, you know, you, you kind of got to win. So don't if, – if, if, if you need to set up the press as your motivation, the media, whatever the hell it is, you're lost. You're really lost. That's what I think. <laughs> interesting. Very, very interesting. And before we move into football, I actually just want to quickly ask you a question. Um, <laughs> Because you've been around sports for a long time, you've seen a lot of great players, and you know, I, I'd be remiss if we didn't talk. About, 
that's a that, hey, fair, fair evaluation. But I, I want to quickly talk about LeBron, um, who obviously has had a tremendous career, wins the, another title last year, brings the title back to Cleveland. You know, what is your thoughts on him? Uh, obviously, everyone has different thoughts, controversial or not. I'm obviously, I'm a huge, I love the way the guy plays the sport. You want your kid you to play like him. Well, just in the sense of how he, you know, he makes everybody better on the floor. He does everything. He plays both ends of the court. You know, in the historical rankings, in the historical world of the greatest players to ever lace him up, where do you see someone like him? You know, what are your thoughts on James? I think he's great enough to have, um, to have reversed the perception of him that was so intense after the decision. And victory becomes a kind of virtue in this culture, particularly this sporting culture. Um, but I think that his greatest accomplishments as a player came early in his career. The, the Nets, remember the, the Nets squad that lost to San Antonio? They were there for two years, right? Yeah. The, remember the Nets squad? Kittle. Yeah. Jay Kidd, Kittles. Um, they had some other guys there, too, that were pretty good, right? Kenyon Martin. Kenyon Martin, right? Right. Okay. That was, that was the, the weakest squad I've ever seen in the I, – I had ever seen in the finals. Yeah. Um, at least the weakest that comes to mind. Until LeBron got – the Cavs, the, the, the pre-decision Cavs to the finals. And, Ryan, I'm going to tell you right now, he had like Mo Williams. He could have got like me and you to the goddamn finals. Oh, uh, yeah, Boogie. He had uh, Booby Gibson. Booby Gibson. Booby Gibson, that's right. He, he had guys who were like, you know, he, he could have got like a couple guys from the Hamptons into the finals. <laughs> the idea that he got that squad into the finals is so extraordinary. I don't think anyone actually appreciates what he did early in his career. Um, I don't. I still don't think we've seen a player like him. You know, Michael and Kobe were. Kobe was very much like, um, like Michael. Um, LeBron is kind of is, is something something like Magic, but he's different. He's still. His, his differentness, if you'll allow that horrible expression to survive this podcast, his differentness is still extraordinary. Uh, he could probably be a, a little bit better shooter, you know, um, uh, but I, I've seen him make huge shots. Um, he's learned to shoot a three, um, but he, I, I don't, I don't know any player like him. Like, there were players that came after Julius that looked like Julius. There were players, you know, Kobe looked like my, I, I don't, I haven't seen anyone look like this guy. I'm sure there will be, you know, five or 10 years, but we've never seen, we still have not seen anything quite like him. I guess the closest thing would be magic, but magic right. just didn't come down the court with that, this, this power. Yeah. It's almost like, you know, like Anthony Mason was six, nine, but he had command of every part of the game and was psychiatrically intact. You know, um, Mason had that kind of strength, but yep. and, he, and he had a handle, not the handle that this guy had, not the eye for the court that this guy had. This guy makes everyone better in a way I've never seen before. Yeah, 
you know, the passing was just extraordinary and at that size and, mm-hmm. and just yeah. the passing ability is incredible. Yep. Um, and the defense, you know. I mean, the, the block he had on Curry in the NBA Finals, which was Yeah, but, you know, that, 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 that's, that's spectacular defense. And that's, that's stuff you'll always remember. But um, that's stuff you'll always remember. But... It's it's the it's the it's the defense as he plays it possession by possession by possession. Um, he's always tough, and and that's what's extraordinary. It's not just the you know the block the highlight shot. right. It's that he's yeah. in possession. It's that he's in possession for that block shot, or that he gets to that place where he can make the block shot. And if he's doing, yep. if he if he can catch up with Iguodala on a on a play like that. Think of all the other plays that don't happen because he's already in position. You know, you, no you probably, you, you know, think of the stuff you never see just because the guy is, is deeing up the whole way through. Right. And, yeah. and that makes always it always in a lot of others. No question. Incredible engine. Uh, never, never doesn't give 120%. We're talking to Mark Kriegel from the NFL Network. You can follow Mark on Twitter at Mark. Kriegel, Mark, we know from the hyperdata, over almost at 100,000 Twitter followers. Interestingly, a very global audience with uh, only 28% of Mark's audience in the U.S. and a big audience in Brazil, 13 or 14% Brazil. of your social media audience. So clearly you have a – it's very rare to see someone as international as you are when you look at your That's Twitter, uh, Twitter audience, which I'm sure comes from uh-huh. your global appeal and all of your – Incredible book. I even know um, I had global appeal. Yeah, global. It's, it's, uh, anybody that goes to Stuyvesant has global appeal. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> I feel uh, better now. Good. So How do I get hyperdata? I'll, I'll send you over as soon as we get off the, uh, off the, okay. the, the grill here. I feel here. like I should um, have that. You know, I'd be cool if I had hyperdata. You got it. No question. Right. And... Uh, I want to move into here's the, the point that you uh, here's the deal. Yeah. Wait, wait, hold up. I'm gonna to have to go downstairs. I have a I have a meeting. I'm gonna to have to drive to now and put you on the the, the the car thing. I'm sorry, but I told you I had to get out of here. All right. So no worries. You have to bear with me now. All right, brother. No worries. We got Mark just go ahead. Keep asking his, away. Okay, Mark's putting his Bluetooth on and uh, heading over from a meeting from Santa Monica and L.A. to uh, another meeting. So. As we do this podcast, going to Brazil Mark right now. Be, <laughs> exactly stuff that looks like Brazil. So let's get into the league that uh, that you are you know you work you with. Think, and can I ask you a question? NFL. Can I ask you a question? Hold up, Yo, let, yeah. me, let me ask you a question. So can can like my hyper data, right? Can they tell like how many like Brazilian women are following me? You know you what? They, they could can. Do that? Not Brazilian, not Brazilian women, but women. So interestingly, let me ask you this. How many Wait, what, so what are they, they're not even going to tell me they're tell me they're Brazilian, but they're not going to tell me men or women? What kind no, of shit is that? They're going to tell, here you go, listen, 28% in the U.S., 13% in Brazil, and 7% in Russia. But you could guess, 100% male versus female, how many men do you think follow you on Twitter versus how many women, percentage-wise? I have no idea. Well, this is shocking because as a sports guy, 60% of men, 40% women, which means 
You have a big female audience. A lot of women are interested wow. in following you and hearing what you got to do. Which again goes back to the Stuyvesant High School education and system. You know what I mean? Yeah, a lot of a lot of women follow the Stuyvesant. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, you're laughing. You, yeah. Exactly. You still with us? Great. Um, so let's get into the NFL, Mark, because obviously that's where the bread is buttered. Week eight coming up. It's been an interesting first seven weeks. Um, you know, two big games this weekend. You have the Atlanta-Green Bay game followed by the night game. There's been a lot of back and forth about what's going on with the league. I specifically want to talk about a couple of, of, of individuals at the quarterback position that are – you know, one, obviously, been there forever, and that's Brady. The second is Matthew Stafford, an MVP candidate. He's had a huge year. And the third is Dak Prescott, who's going to be playing Sunday night. So three very different storylines, three very different quarterbacks. Now, I know you had some interesting stuff that you've been working on that you're looking at. But give us your thoughts. Why don't we start with Tom Terrific. Brady out the first four games, comes back, doesn't miss a beat. Hats look basically like the best team in the league by far. You know, give us your thoughts on what you've seen from Brady in the past so far. So, you know what Terry Bradshaw was doing when he was 39? Do you know? What's that? No. He, he, was at, he was at CBS. You know what Joe Montana was doing when he was 39? Monday Night Football? That's a cute. No. Uh, he was at NBC. I believe. Um, And Brady has a passer rating of like 138. I don't know if anyone ever had a passer rating of 138 after um, whatever it is, three games, four games, whatever the hell it's been. But here's the deal with Brady. He's not just a better quarterback than he was uh, a decade ago at 29. Um, He's a better athlete. Now, and there's that famous, like, shot of him, you know, trotting at the combine. And there's another famous picture of him with his shirt off at the combine. And, you know, he wasn't a great athlete to start. But if you survive this well, this long, with all the trainers and all the other stuff, you are a great athlete. And, you know, I put it out on Twitter the other day. How many guys do you know are better athletes at 39, they were at 29. I got a bunch of answers. Obviously, we're we're um, we're eliminating all the steroid cheats from baseball. You know, the Bonds and and all of those guys. A Rod, um, I guess A Rod wasn't a better athlete by any stretch. 39 than, than 29. But uh, then you have your golfers like Phil Mickelson. That doesn't count. He's a golfer. Kickers like Vinatieri doesn't count. He's a kicker. Um, there were interesting comparisons with fighters. Dan Henderson, an MMA guy. Um, George Foreman won a title at 45. But th- this, to me, is something different. I'm not diminishing what Foreman did. Um, Foreman had a great night. I don't think that he was a better athlete than his younger self. Um, Grady is, is, in fact, a, a better athlete. Bernard Hopkins is a crafty veteran at his old age, but he's not a better athlete. Tom Brady is doing stuff better physically than he did a decade ago when he was already a Super Bowl winning quarterback. And I don't think that's, I think that that's without 
precedent. I, I can't um, I can't think of any example quite like that, especially in a game like football, which compromises you, you know, orthopedically and, and every other way. Um, it's you know the the key to playing quarterback is being able to withstand the hit, and that's the same hit that ends your career. And even brave guys like Peyton Manning uh, couldn't survive. And you saw Peyton Manning at 39. That was last year. And even though he won, a, he won a Super Bowl, the team carried him to the finish line. He didn't carry the team. That's, the, that's just the opposite here. Brady's carrying the Patriots, not the other way around. It's, it's, it's incredible to watch what he's up to. We know from the hyper data, Brady, big Facebook user, 4 million followers on Facebook, really doing a lot of his communication all of Facebook. Every one of his posts getting about 22,000 shares. Incredible power use of social media. And what does obviously that mean? I'm not even... Ryan, I'm going to explain what that means. Yeah. I don't even what have Facebook, he's man. Got, he, he's got 4 million people who follow him. 36% of those people are in the United States. And he's got 22,000 shares for every post, meaning every time that he puts up a post on Facebook, 22,000 people share it with their own friends, which is incredibly oh, powerful. Oh, share like he gets money. No, like share like people post. The reality is he does get money because he makes himself bigger and more powerful as a brand. But as a social media communication, when he, he, he communicates, whether it was with the Flategate or other things, he puts things out on Facebook and his fans are, are sharing it or, or, or retweeting it. So he's a, he's a freak, you, Brady. I mean, wait, can I ask you a question, though? Can I, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Do you think that, you know, we've known each other well, do you think that that's, like, probably where I went wrong in life? Because I'm, I'm, not, I'm not really on Facebook. I mean, I, I'm on Facebook, but I don't even know my password. Do you think maybe no. that if I, that's why everything got screwed up for me? No, I think it was the Stuyvesant thing. But I do think, though, that uh, if, if oh, we, now you want to talk But I, I should yeah. be like a super nerd. I went to Stuyvesant, right? I, I should, like, know yeah. all of it. I should have my own hyper or whatever it is, data. You, you got it. Put some glasses on and uh, move out of Santa Monica, and you could become a nerd again. Exactly. No, exactly. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I wasn't. Um, I wasn't. A, I wasn't a nerd at Stuyvesant. I know. I know. Um, well, you know, I'm actually as I do this podcast, I'm looking at Stuyvesant as I'm in the World Trade Center, right across the street from it. So I, uh, I could tell by the surroundings the kind of people that went to that school. You know, and Brady is a freak, Mark. I mean, this guy's a freak at 39 with the surgeries that he's had, with the way the league has changed. He looks like he could play for another eight or ten years, right? Well, yeah, his goal is to play to 70. That's what his father said. <laughs> and then we move over to the Midwest. Matthew Stafford, a guy that not a lot of people know what this guy's been doing, but uh, in his last 40 attempts, either touchdowns or interceptions, 34 touchdowns, six interceptions, a ridiculous comeback on Sunday, down four with a minute to go against Washington, who's rushing, I was watching it, rushing three guys. Stafford eats them up alive. Four and three Lions. They play this weekend, chance to go five and three. He's a real MVP candidate. I know you're very high on the former Georgia quarterback. Um, 
you know, what are you seeing that's just so different from Stafford this year? Uh, everybody nationally misses what's what's really going on. I mean, Stafford is the first pick in the draft. Everyone wonders when he's going to be a superstar, and he's never considered a superstar. And, he, you know, because he never had that, that type of success. But the the interesting thing here is that you, you show me a, a great quarterback, even Brady, and he has at least one not good but great receivers, right? Roethlisberger has Antonio Brown and, um, you know, up and down the line. Brady has Gronk. Um, last year Peyton had Demarius, although he didn't play, neither of them played particularly well. Um, Matt Ryan is resurgent. He has a great receiver in Julio Jones. Tell me who Stafford has. Who does Stafford yeah, he's have? He's got what? Yeah, he's got Tate, a, an old Antoine Bolden, and they got nothing. Antoine is older than me. Uh, thank you. Okay, so here's the thing. So this guy has lost the greatest receiver of of, the, of his generation, right? Without question, he was the, you know, just throw the ball up, Megatron will come down with it, right? So he lost the greatest receiver in football, certainly the greatest talent. And his numbers have gone way up. That's extraordinary. Now, part of it is, big part, is they have a short passing game. And before, with, with Megatron, they were throwing long. They would just go down the field, let, let the guy try to come down with it. So he has this coordinator, Jim Bob Cooter, who is obviously – even better than his name suggests. Um, <laughs> he's learned he's learned a, a short passing game, and it, it, it's it's proved you know it's, it's been a great great benefit to him. But that's what everyone misses: is that you lose the best receiver in football, or the best talent, or the best receiver of his generation, and your numbers get better, and not marginally better, substantially better. Yeah. The evolution and the maturation of Matthew Stafford will be interesting to see how he continues this and, and goes through the rest of the le- this, this season. And then in Dallas, big, huge game Saturday, Sunday night, Dallas and the Eagles. Prescott has been tremendous. Uh, obviously, they have Romo waiting in the wings. Now, what, do you, what have you seen and heard from Prescott? Do you think he's the quarterback that they're going to go with the rest of the year? Or do you think at some point they'll make a decision to bring Romo back? Well, they're going to need, even if they want to bring Roma back, they're going to have to ha- have some have some way to do it. They can't just, like, they can no longer pull Prescott out just just for the hell of it. I don't think that they would. I don't think that that's prudent. I don't think they, uh, um, I don't, you know, they, Prescott would have to falter. Or um, Prescott would have to falter. But, you know, listen, what makes everyone good there is one thing, is, is, um, is the offensive line. That's, that's why – that's one yep. of the reasons why Prescott's so good, you know. Um, I'm trying it, to find it, the it, address it. of the place where I'm supposed to be. Okay. I'm going to let you but go. Super impressed, super impressed with, with, with Prescott and their offensive line and always – 
Super impressed by you bringing your A game as always. Enjoy the weekend, Mark. Get, get to the meeting safe. All we'll right, catch brother. up with you soon, bud. Be well. I'll check you out later. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks. That's uh, the always charming Mark Kriegel from the NFL Network. You could follow him on Twitter at Mark with a K, Kriegel. Uh, all the credentials in the world when it comes to one of the great sports writers, uh, New, York Tom, uh, New York Post Daily News. Uh, he's on the Mark column, and the Post was as famous as it gets. He was talking about Matthew Stafford. Stafford, um, you know, one of the really interesting storylines in the NFL, as well as a couple of other uh, storylines that we talked about. And then, of course, um, the basketball and Mark's interesting uh, back and forth on the Knicks. And we talked about Dak Prescott, we know from Hyper. Dak, very social-driven, 420,000 followers on Instagram, 200,000 on Twitter, getting about 68,000 likes for every post on Instagram, so using Instagram significantly. Uh, and 43% of his following is ages 33 to 39. So you're still getting a real um, you know, millennial and baby boomer look at who's following the rookie from uh, the Cowboys. So... Uh, a lot of fun today, third podcast in three days. We're going to go for our fourth on Monday, an NBA preview with Tommy Beer. Uh, please subscribe to the podcast uh, Inside the Burger Shop on iTunes. Looking forward to a fun weekend, a safe weekend with all the Halloween. Enjoy the candy. Enjoy what looks to be a decent weather weekend. A lot of football, World Series, some NBA it's as good as it gets right now if you're a sports fan. Thanks to the NFL Network and Mark for coming on today. Enjoy your weekend, everybody. And as my man Mad Dog Russo likes to say, adios.